Well, I should start with an important news flash as to why Mary and I missed this past Sunday before we dig into our latest of the minor prophets. Uh, we had a family event a week ago Thursday that we welcomed little Teddy Theodore James Davis as our first grandchild. And so uh, um, I think we got a picture up here. There we are. I call him little Teddy, but he actually came in at nine pounds, eight ounces, 22 and a half inches long. I already got a contact from the Cleveland Browns asking about a future linebacker kind of thing. And so, but anyhow, we had a blast together. They're down in Clearwater, Florida, where Brad is a helicopter Coast Guard pilot. But in five weeks, they moved to Astoria, Oregon, opposite of the country where they'll continue, continue his work with the Coast Guard. And so our hearts, we, we came back with really full hearts. Uh, I, I can sort of get why that one person said, if I knew how much fun it was to be a grandparent, I think I would have had my grandkids first. Uh, and, and so I sort of relate to that joining, that, uh, joining that club. So it was really a blast. That's why we missed this past Sunday. And um, yet, you know, with all of the, when your heart is full, there seems to be like two tracks in life, right? That you have certain things that bring you great joy, but then there's other aspects of life that bring you grief. There's brokenness. I have it in my life. I'm sure you have it in yours. If I were to ask right now, like, hey, what for you is not working in life? What for you is a burden that you carry? What's an anxiety that just sort of weighs your heart down? You wake up in the morning, you would say, alongside the joys of life, your heart is full, your mountaintop, you have some things that cause you pain as well, right? It comes in all kinds of ways. Maybe it's a child that you've welcomed into this world that not long later gets some kind of a diagnosis of cancer. It could be that uh, you've been dealt a crushing blow by someone betraying you. Uh, maybe someone you care about uh, gets some kind of shocking news and you're just, you, you can't believe it. All kinds of brokenness. You know, if we look on a global scale as well, sometimes when we take the focus off ourselves and we sort of look at the world, we go, wow, like there are people today who have suffering that I can't even imagine. I'm thinking of Afghanistan today. There's a lot of countries around the world that don't enjoy near the freedoms we have in our in our own nation. But in Afghanistan right now, as the U.S. has pulled out, uh, the Taliban is on the move, right? And, and this has been a brutal uh, force. 20 years ago, when they ruled the country for five years, they, they withheld U.N. supplied food to a starving 160,000 people. They destroyed thousands of homes. They prohibited girls from going to school. They tried to enact Sharia law. They they were brutal in the way that they ran things. They, yeah, it was terrible. So imagine if you're uh, in Afghanistan right now. Let's say you're a, a believer in Jesus, and you know that the Taliban oppresses religious minorities. Really, anybody who doesn't agree with them, you can either convert or you can die or you can be enslaved. And you're looking ahead saying, okay, here's, they're coming through the country, and I don't know what our future holds. Am I going to be able to keep my job? Will my kids, my girls be able to go to school? Uh, will I even live? How do you deal with the brokenness in this life? How do you respond when evil appears to be gaining the upper hand? 
You see, every worldview, we all have a worldview, whether we acknowledge one or not, we all have some way of looking and interpreting the events in, our, in, in life and, and in, on a global scale and for ourselves. Like, where did we come from? Like, where did humanity, what, how did we all start? And when it's all over, where will we go? And why are we even here? Like, what's the purpose of life? However you answer those questions determines your worldview, like how you see the world. And one of the things we all have to wrestle with is how do we grapple with suffering and evil, including as Christians. In fact, it's one of the things, maybe you have friends who say, I can't really accept Christianity because I can never follow a God who you say is all-powerful and all-loving who allows people to suffer like they do in the world today. You might suffer, struggle with that yourself. You go, I, that's one of the, my big questions, Jonathan. I, I don't know how to, how, how to deal with that. So how do we process that? I don't pretend like in the next 25 minutes to give you like an airtight, but what I want to do is point. I want to give some signs, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, and say as we come to this book, which for us as followers of Jesus shapes our worldview, how do we grapple with evil and suffering in the world, especially when evil seems to be gaining the upper hand. Let's turn to the book of Nahum. It's right uh, toward the end of your Old Testament. You might go, there's a book called Nahum. How do you even spell that? It's N-A-H-U-M. It's only three chapters, uh, and it's maybe a book you haven't read in a while, but it's one of the 12 minor prophets, minor not because they're like not very important, like minor leagues or something like that, or they haven't quite reached the majors, but only because of their size, their length. They're, they're generally shorter, like Nahum. They're, you know, three, three chapters. So Nahum, if you want to look on your cell phone, you can do that as well, table of contents. Let me just uh, say to those of you joining us in different places, maybe, you know, uh, a while after this uh, Sunday or if you're watching live, we're really glad to have you, whether you're in North Ridgeville, North Royalton, New York, North Africa, wherever you are, we love you, and we're really glad to have you uh, being part of the family uh, here today. So Nahum is a spokesperson for God, and that day they were called prophets, and when the world seems all wrong and evil seems to be winning, Nahum gives hope, hope from God, that the future of God's people, however small in number they may have been, is secure. If you were to memorize a verse from this short little book, I would recommend Nahum 1 verse 7. In fact, I'd love for you to say it aloud with me. Are you ready? It's going to be on the screen. There, there it is. Let's say it together. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. He cares for those who trust in Him. He's a refuge in times of trouble. That wasn't just some kind of like cool plaque they put in their kitchen. This was something that as you look at their history, these were words that they, they were like, like hanging on for dear life. You can't really... It's hard to you know, grasp what they were facing unless we get the historical context. So let's just take a look at a couple of maps here. First one is, you'll see, is Israel and Judah, this a nation that was torn apart because they had leaders that lacked integrity. So you had 10 tribes of Israel in the north, two tribes of Judah in the south. Nation of Israel, or that northern 10 tribes, not one king that honored God, not one leader with integrity. The southern uh, part of Judah, they had some leaders that honored God, but the northern part in 721 B.C., you can read about this in a history book, the people in Israel, Assyria from the northeast comes in and they cart them off into captivity. And now they're knocking at Judah's door. Now, who's the Assyrian Empire? Next map here. 
you'll see in 1800 to 1600 BC, relatively small, just that little circle by Nineveh and Calhu. Uh, and then in the 1200s, they, they grew to be larger. And then by the 600s, when Nahum is speaking, this, these are real places. Like they expanded down in the southwest to Egypt, up in the northwest uh, to Turkey. That encompasses a lot of Iran and Iraq, parts of Saudi Arabia, Israel, Jordan. This empire was huge, huge. Not only were they big, though, they were brutal. They were like the Taliban of their day. They would mercilessly attack and torture people. They forcibly marched them hundreds of miles to live in settlement camps. I mean, it, the more you hear about when you, you can visit the British, the British Museum in London and you can see some of the murals from Assyrian Empire, Ashurbanipal was the final uh, emperor, and they were large and aggressive and brutal. So you're one of God's people. You're in Judah, and you're going, they're coming. They're, God, we are, we are toast. Evil is going to win. Our family is going to be destroyed. We're going to lose our home. We're going to lose our homeland. And there's, there's, like, what do we have to live for? What do you hold on to in a time when evil appears to be gaining the upper hand? That was the question in Nahum's day. You think some of the people doubted, you know, like, you know, God comes in, he goes, okay, here's what's going to happen. They're going, we don't see it happening. Here's what we can say. A couple lines in your notes, if you want to follow along, they're in your bulletin online, our homepage, just click bulletin, and you'll see the notes at the end of the bulletin there. But... Um, Here's what we know is that God makes a promise that a serious future, that judgment is coming. That's Nahum's message. Assyria is going to be defeated and evil is going to lose to God. That's what he says. Let's just read a couple of verses, starting with chapter 1, verse 1. And just to get a feel for what he says here in chapter 1, verse 1, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He's going, you think, you think a series on the move? Oh, my goodness, God's on the move as well. Verse 8, with an overwhelming flood, God will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into darkness. Verse 12, this is what the Lord says, although they have allies and are numerous, the Assyrians will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. That's his people. Now I will break their yoke from their neck and tear your shackles away. He's, Nahum's saying, folks, God is promising that that if you follow him, he's ultimately is going to set you free. In Assyria, oh, just be patient. Their day is coming. One more example of that over in chapter 3, verse 18. In fact, it's the very last verses of the book. God says, you know, you know I'm going to deal with evil in the world today? He says, O king of Assyria, verse 18, verse 19, he says, nothing can heal your wound. Your injury is fatal. Everyone who hears the news about you claps his hands at your fall. It's like people are going to be cheering your downfall because you've been so evil. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? Nahum's message is really this. He's going, in a world of brokenness and evil, friends, just hold on because God is still on the move. Now, even in that day, there were doubters. There are always doubters. Uh, but 
here's the point of Nathan's prophecy, that for every follower of God, then and now, that when we have the promises of God, it gives us hope in the midst of crisis. There are always doubters, but God keeps his promises always without exception. Here's how it happened back then. You can find this in a college history book. In 612 B.C., some 40 to 50 years after God speaks through the prophet Nahum, Assyria is so completely crushed by the Medes and the Persians that the ruins of Nineveh, listen to this, remained undiscovered until like less than 200 years ago in 1842. God keeps his promises always, without exception. That's Nahum. Back in that day, people are seeing evil on the rise, seeing the Taliban come through, and God says, just hold on. Hold on, this is not the final chapter. Fast forward 700 years. I said we're going to look at one example from the Old Testament. Nahum, I want to look at an example in the New Testament. If you turn with me to 2 Peter, it's one of the last books of the Bible. Peter writes two letters. I want you to turn to 2 Peter with me. And Peter talks as well about God dealing with evil, delivering his people. And here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 10, and let me just say this, the promise was back then was God's, the future of Assyria was judgment is coming. God's promise to his followers in the first century and today is that Jesus is coming. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like what? A thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar, the elements will be destroyed. Let's just pause right there a second. Unexpected, like a thief catching people totally off guard. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. We hear about a trumpet call of God, the voice of the archangel. But every eye is going to see him. It's going to be amazing. Why do some people, once you say a lot of people live like that's not going to happen, I can tell you this, it's not because it's only like, well, there's 2 Peter 3, and, you know, that's the only time it's ever it's kept a secret. Not at all. This is something, you know, if you looked at the 260 chapters of the New Testament, 27 books of the New Testament, 260 chapters. You know how many times the second coming of Jesus is mentioned? 318 in 260 chapters. They didn't want us to miss this. Let me just read a couple of examples here. You'll see these on the screen if you want to write down the verses. Jesus tells his followers in Matthew chapter 24, he says, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, is going to come at an hour when you do not expect Right after, or right before he goes to the cross, he tells his followers, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, what? Come back, take you to be with me. After his ascension to heaven, Acts chapter 1, an angel tells the follow, his followers, this same Jesus who has been taken up into heaven will come back in the same way. This past Friday, I was at a, I, I, I was doing a, a memorial service, and we were at the Gravesite. And I read verses that I often read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it's the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to believers who are grieving the death of a loved one. And he says this He says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with these believers who have already died in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Amazing promises. Hebrews chapter 9. Christ will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And here's how the Bible ends. Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things, that is Jesus, says, yes, I am what? Coming soon. Those are the words of Jesus. 
So you get the picture, one of the most frequently repeated promises in the entire Bible, that whenever, though we, the promises feels like it's a long time in coming, there's sort of question marks, right? You're like, I know there's all these promises, Jonathan, but like in Nahum's day, there are always doubters, right? In the early church, first century, the early followers of Jesus were being mistreated because of their faith. And they're wondering, they're like, well, he told us he was going to come again, but like, is it really going to happen? And, and Peter writes to them in that context, and he says, hey, you know what? In the midst of your pain and your brokenness, don't forget the promises of God. He knew that people would be prone to doubt, even us today, because there are always doubters. So he warns them and us. Look what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. And just think of doubters scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately, what? Forget. Not just simply forget. They deliberately forget. They're intentional about it. They don't want to remember because if they remembered what God had done in the past, they'd be hard-pressed to not agree that there are always doubters, but God always keeps his promises, always, without exception. They knew that in Nahum's day, when Nahum made a promise, Assyria is going to be crushed, that promise came true. All the other promises. Now, Peter makes a promise. There's always going to be doubters, but God keeps his promises. What are the implications of that for you and me today, 2021? You go, okay, John, what, is, what does that mean for me right now? When you're at work tomorrow, you're at you know, a Little League baseball game, you're following the Indians, Guardians. Uh, had to sneak that in there somehow, you know. Um, you're going shopping, you're at work, you're talking to friends. What, what, what does this mean for us today? For stars, here's what you can know. You can always have in the backdrop of your worldview that followers of Jesus, we are always living with this anticipation of a fantastic family reunion in heaven one day. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you've invited him to come into your life, the promise of Jesus that he's going to come again allows you to deal with grief in this world, with suffering, with loss of loved ones, with whatever it is you've gone through, the breakdown of your marriage, whatever, because you can know that this life is not all your marbles are not in this basket. This isn't the final chapter of your life. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have a chapter, there's going to be a turning of a page someday when either you die or Jesus comes again, and you're going to be in a home that's remarkable. Now, when I talk about the second coming, sometimes people are like, Johnny, you're scaring me, or my kids. Let me talk to those who are, there's a child crying in the back right now. They're so afraid of what I'm saying right now. But he's only like six months old, so. <laughs> but, but maybe you're like, I don't know how my kids are dealing with this. You're talking about Jesus coming like a thief in the night. That's like scary. Can I just tell you something? If you know Jesus, this is like the greatest event. You don't have to be afraid of this at all. In fact, three verses in a row. You know what 2 Peter says? Yeah, you can clap for that. Here in 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse three verses in a row. Verse 12, he says, as you look forward to the day of God. Verse 13, but in keeping with this promise, we are what? We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. In verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, this is a great event. Peter goes, this isn't anything to dread. If you know Jesus, this is like, some of you this summer, you're like, hey, we're like getting post-COVID. We are going on this vacation that we put off last summer, and you can't wait. Maybe you already took it. 
As you look forward to that vacation destination or you look forward to moving into your new home or you look forward to having a grandbaby or whatever you look forward to, times a million, exponentially more, you can say, God, sometimes I doubt. I'm not scoffing, but God, sometimes I wonder if you're going to keep your promise. But God, if you keep that promise, oh my goodness, the pain and the sorrow of this world, gone forever. In light of that, Peter says, you know what, I, I want you to live your life in light of the fact that your best friend Jesus could come at any moment. That means you get rid of anything that dishonors him. You make decisions that, you know, he just approves of and he's like, way to go, well done. In fact, in verse 14 here, he says this, so then, dear friends, since we are looking forward to this, make every effort be interesting study to do in the New Testament. When does it say make every effort? There's a few times. One of those to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Jesus. It means it's a top shelf priority. You live in a way that you're not going to be embarrassed when Jesus comes and you see him face to face. He makes the point a couple of times for emphasis. Verse 11, he says, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. In other words, if you really believe Jesus is going to come again, and he could come again tonight, July 25th, 2021, how are you going to live your life? You're going to live in light of the fact that Jesus could come today, right? It's not just about us, though. It's about the people around us, that if we truly love people, that we have a message says in your notes to share with others so that they can join us. People in your neighborhood, those of you who are still in school, your friends at school, your neighbors, uh, whoever. People in other parts of the world we never meet. That's why Grace Church, that's why we pray for other nations. We care about what's happening in Afghanistan. That's why we send people uh, to different countries around the world because we're going, God, they matter to you, so they matter to us. We want other people to experience the compassion and the forgiveness of Jesus and to be ready and prepared for the day that he comes again. Does your life point to him? I, I love stories of transformation. I was at a grad party yesterday. I heard a great story from someone here, and I just I told him, I said, I love hearing stories of what God does in people's lives. And, and uh, during one of the baptism services at Grace, young woman stood up here. We give people the opportunity if they want to talk about their faith story and how they came to Christ. And, and she talked about a coworker that had a huge influence on her. And this coworker had no idea, but um, here, here's what she wrote or said in her baptism story up here. She said, this coworker of mine was different in a good way. The way she carried herself, her joyful outlook, the way she managed pressure. One day I bumped into her in the bathroom and I said, I've been wanting to talk to you. I need to know what it is about you that makes you different, attractive. And she said, that coworker's lifestyle was influential in my putting my trust in Christ. Yeah, God can even use you in the bathroom, right? I, I wonder, um, does your life have that kind of aroma to it? That you have the aroma of Christ that people go, they just they ask questions. How are you the way you are? How do you deal with pressure like that? How do you... You might ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come and make me more like Jesus? You know, here's why it's so key for us to reflect the heart and kindness of Jesus. If we believe the promise of this book, stated over and over again, 318 times in 260 chapters of the New Testament, that Jesus is coming again, 
Man, that matters, right? Because as it says in your notes, there's another line that says, those who ignore God and his ways will have great regret. There's a little phrase here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 that says, there will be, this is even hard to read, there will be a day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So there's bad news and there's good news in Nahum's day and in our day. In Nahum's day, for those who are God's people and, and they're watching evil just spread and, and infiltrate the world and God goes, you know what? Just be patient. I'm going to take care of that. Evil's going to lose. Hang on to me. And God keeps His promise. That was good news for the people of God, that promise. But it was bad news for the Assyrians, right? And likewise in our day and Peter's day that today that we hold on to this promise that Jesus is going to come again, for us that's great news, Right? If you know Jesus, you love Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're like, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. But if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be a terrible day. Because you're going to say, I, I heard about that. Maybe I was sitting in church on July 25th, 2021, and I just sort of blew by that and didn't pay attention. And he's going to come and you're going to go, I, I, I wasn't ready. Actually, that pains the heart of Jesus that people would miss out as well. In fact, it's the very reason why he hasn't come again. In your notes, it says this, and really in 2 Peter, what seems like delays are actually a sign of God's patience and love. Verse 9 here in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you hear that? God takes no pleasure, the Bible says, in the death of wicked people. He doesn't go, you want to see me just fry him like, no. That crushes the heart of God. We've said it before. It says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, right? And people who choose to reject the offer of Jesus end up in a place prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus says, I I'm going to wait. I I'm patient. But what seems like a long time to us is actually, if you look at the verse at the top of your notes, if you're on, on the, the website there, it says, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like what? So how many days since Jesus was walking the earth? Two days, right? Two days. His timetable is just different. So we might go, it's been a couple thousand years, and in God's timetable is going, it's been a couple of days. He's not going to forget his promise. Friends, here's the big point. In Nahum's day, in Peter's day, and in ours day. Would you say it aloud with me? You're going to see this on the screen here. You ready? Let's say it together aloud. There will always be doubters, but God always keeps his promises without exception. Some of you have seen these YouTube videos of, you know, like, it's like a fourth grade classroom, little boys, you know, in the third row, and, uh, and the teacher goes, hey, kids, we have a special guest today. And this guy in a military uniform walks in the door. I get choked up even thinking about it. And that little boy, what does he do? He jumps up out of his chair and goes, daddy, daddy, and he just runs up and he gives his father a giant hug. And you see, you can watch any number of these happening on athletic fields or, you know, mom, military mom comes out of a box for a daughter, you know. But you see the joy of that child that the parent who had left for a time and made a promise and said, I'm going to come back. And when that child sees their parent come back, 
oh my goodness, there's just this giant embrace, right? I want you to see yourself in that picture. That you're that child and the one who loves you more than anyone loves you appears. And when you see him, you see his, the love in his eyes. And, and you go running toward him and he comes running toward you. And there is a giant welcome home. That's what he wants for you. That's the promise of Jesus. Our worldview is that evil is not going to win the day. The Bible says it over and over again. Evil may look like it's winning, but there's going to come a day when we're welcomed into a home forever and there's going to be no more sickness, no more cancer, no more heart problems, no more divorce, no more poison ivy, praise God. Um, no more brokenness. And he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Are you ready for that day? I love that. Someone said, yes, I am. I hope we can all say that because that's God's heart for you. It's not for perfect people. It's not for people who are good enough. It's for people who are forgiven who say, Jesus, I made a mess in my life, but I want you to come and to be the leader and the Lord of my life, to forgive me and save me. Lord, here I am. I'm yours. And you become part of his family. And he'll keep his promises because he's never broken one yet. Let's thank him together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you today for being the ultimate promise keeper. Lord, I know just a fraction of the problems and challenges that people in our church family here face, those who are watching online, but God, you know every detail, every heartache. You see every tear. And Lord, I thank you that those tears and brokenness and crises and suffering and heartache are not the end. They're not the final chapter. Because we hold on to your promises, and Jesus, we thank you. So we pray, Lord, we would say with one of your first followers, we believe, help us in our unbelief, Lord. Help us in our doubts. Help us when we forget about your second coming. Help us when things of this world become so big and important to us that we forget that with you, a thousand years are like a day and you're coming again. Spirit of Jesus, help us to be ready. Make us more and more like the one who came and gave his life for us. In his powerful name we pray. And everyone who wants it to be so said, amen. amen.